0: This is Lab Medicine Rounds, a curated podcast for physicians, laboratory professionals and students. I'm your host, Justin Kreuter, the bowtie bandit of blood, a transfusion medicine pathologist at Mayo Clinic. To kick off our podcast series, we thought it'd be fun to discuss some of the top things every medical professional should know about laboratory medicine. Today we're rounding with Dr. Ann Moyer, Molecular Genetic Pathologist at Mayo Clinic in the Department of Laboratory Medicine and Pathology. Thanks for joining us today, Dr. Moyer.
1: Thanks for having me. I'm excited to tell everybody a little bit more about laboratory medicine. So let's let's get
0: started. I, I'm really kind of curious. How did you decide to go into molecular genetic pathology? That's
1: well, actually kind of a tough question because I'm not 100% sure. Originally, I thought, well, I want to go into medical school. I think I want to go into medicine to help patients and make a difference in the world. Pretty much probably the same thing that most people go into medicine thinking. But then as I went through the program, I started realizing that I liked every rotation to some extent. But there was not one that I was like, oh, this is definitely my future. I came from a background where I really liked genetics and I was a chemistry major as an undergraduate. And pretty much, I realized partway through that the part of medicine that I thought was really cool was when you got the lab test results back on each patient, and then you could try to figure out, well, how does that fit actually with the patient's clinical presentation and figuring out how to make a diagnosis based on that. And the more I thought about it, I realized that even though that part was really enjoyable and I really liked seeing the patients, I actually really liked seeing where the lab results came from and having that chemistry side of things and actually performing that, well, not performing the genetic tests myself, but interpreting the results and then talking to the providers about it. So really, it just kind of happened and not one of those things I planned out and just realized it as I went.
0: You know, it's funny. That's something that really resonates with me. I think it's that real interest in the underlying cause and and background for for disease and, and how and why our treatments work, I guess it's those why questions that I, I think, um, for a lot of us in the field of pathology, what kind of brought us to that. So we were kind of talking in the beginning, uh, before we started recording, about you know, the, uh, a lot of the myths uh, and uh, you know, around who is this pathologist. One of the things is, you know, what do you do all day, right? Do you, are you just eating bonbons and you know <laughs> getting paid every time somebody uh, gives some blood into a test tube? Uh, what do you do all day?
1: Yeah, I think that's a great question. I get asked that by my family all the time too. So it's actually really a difficult question to answer too, because every single day is totally different from the day before. So as a molecular genetic pathologist, one pathologist, one of the things that I end up needing to do every day is we get our test results come through the laboratory from the clinical technologists who are actually performing the testing and the technical specialists that are reviewing the data. But at the end, I have to look at every single one of those results before that case is signed out for that patient. So that's one of the things that keeps me busy every day. But then beyond that, if we want to have a new test come up later, then we have to spend time developing the test. And we have to work in teams with the development technologists to bring up the best tests for the patients in the future. And there are a lot of meetings to make sure that everything is coordinated. I do have some pharmacogenomic testing in the laboratory, and that part's especially hard to coordinate. Because there's a lot of interfaces with the electronic medical record system, and we like to provide clinical decision support alerts for the providers so that they know how to use that data and that they can find the data right when they need it. And that just takes a lot of coordination in the background.
0: Holy smokes. I I mean, you know, you're really kind of bringing to light I think that there's so much happening behind the scenes that most people just don't know, right? You think you, you take a little blood, you send it to the lab and it you know spits out an answer, and then yeah, what could a pathologist be doing all day? But what I hear you saying is there is a lot happening behind the scenes.
1: That is definitely true and almost an understatement from developing the tests to actually performing the tests, managing the laboratory, there's a lot going on every day.
0: Can you just elaborate? Maybe take one test. Uh, you know that you're typically going over and signing out, and it, just kind of talk us through. How do you look at a case? What are the things that you're paying attention to? Because I think that for most people listening is just kind of a whole new idea that there can be, you know, some kind of an exam or an evaluation of, patho- uh, of a patient by a pathologist who never gets to meet that patient. Can you just take one one case and maybe kind of uh, walk us through how that might look?
1: Yeah, definitely, so I already mentioned that I do pharmacogenomic testing in the laboratory, but the other type of testing that I spend a lot of time on is primary immunodeficiency genetic testing. And so for that testing, the first thing that happens is the test order is placed by the provider, and hopefully they've filled out the patient information sheet to send along with the sample, And if they have, our genetic counselors are the first step where they review that patient information sheet and they try to figure out, does this actually make sense for this patient to have this testing? And if there are any questions there, then they definitely bring that to my attention and we talk about it. And if there are questions, we get back to the provider to make sure that this is really the test that they actually wanted. So that's really the first that we're involved and then after that if it's an appropriate test the test gets actually run in the laboratory by the clinical technologists and if they have any questions they work in a team with the technical specialists who do some of the basic troubleshooting with them but if it's anything more complicated than that then they'll bring that to the director's attention as well so then we can get involved in some of the troubleshooting but hopefully most of the time the testing works out just fine so we can totally skip that step. But once the results are actually back, we like to look back at that patient information and see, does it actually make sense with this particular patient's phenotype? Like, does this test result explain what's going on for that patient? Is there anything unusual about this test result that I might need to reach out to the ordering provider and talk to them about it? And depending on the answers to those questions, then we would do all those steps, and then at the end, we'll sign it out. And then if the provider gets the result and they say, wow, I'm not actually really sure what this means... Sometimes they give us a call, which I absolutely love that because then we get to talk them through the results and learn a little bit more about their patient. And I think that helps us be better laboratory professionals to have that interaction with them. Wow, that
0: really is a lot of uh, touch points and connection. I mean, I hear you talking about laboratory utilization, which has a lot of impact on the bottom line for our institutions, uh, as well as the quality of care for patients. I imagine if somebody ordered the wrong test and then misinterpreted that result, that could send a patient's treatment uh, really in a tailspin.
1: Yeah, definitely. And it can lead to some confusion, too, because if they weren't planning on ordering that particular test... And then let's say you find a variant that's something that is unclassified or a variant of uncertain significance that might lead to a further workup for that patient. And it just might not make sense clinically and be a little bit difficult for them perhaps to emotionally handle as the patient getting this information they weren't expecting and for the provider to have to follow up on all of that.
0: Now, with this whole variety of of practice, I mean, you're opening up our minds to what a uh, pathologist, what a laboratory medicine uh, specialist can do and and does. What's, What's your favorite part?
1: That's actually a tough question, too. So I think I like a lot of parts of it. I think the most exciting parts for me are actually signing out the cases every day, just because I know that there's a patient at the end of every single sample that comes into the lab. And so I feel like I'm making a difference. And that's really why I went into medicine in the first place. But that said, it's really exciting to bring up a new test too. So you can't really discount that. But actually interacting with providers and helping patients—that's definitely the top of my list.
0: Wow! I want to highlight that for all the clinicians listening. Just this patient-centeredness that is coming out—that's—that's that's falling off here, uh, as well as uh, you know, so patient-centered, uh, physician-centered. We really enjoy those interactions. What's what's the worst aspect?
1: I think one of the worst aspects is when you can't figure out what's going on for that patient. So sometimes you will get that phone call from the clinician because you gave them a negative result, especially for those immunodeficiency cases. And they'll say, well, but my patient's really sick. And they'll explain the patient's phenotype. And it makes perfect sense that we should have been able to find something. But sometimes the technology's just not there yet. Maybe there's a gene we didn't know about yet. Maybe there's some sort of limitation to test design. So I think those ones are always a little bit hard just because we want to give everybody an answer.
0: I see, I mean, that really kind of speaks to, I mean, some of the tests that we're doing in the lab or I guess you might call it a tried and true test, uh, like a CBC, complete blood count, uh, that's been, we've been doing that for uh, decades to something that is very much cutting edge. I mean, probably a lot of the tests that are being run in your lab didn't exist five years ago
1: yeah that's definitely true for the immunodeficiencies they're identifying new genes every day it seems like and for the pharmacogenomics piece that's definitely a rapidly changing field too i think that's really the same for all of genetics we're finding so much more out about humans and our genomes so there's definitely more to come in new test development in the coming years too Join us for the
0: 2019 Leveraging the Laboratory Conference on September 24th and 25th in Nashville, Tennessee. Visit mailcliniclabs.com forward slash 2019 levlab for more information. something that probably for all the uh, residents, uh, pathology residents, especially they're interested in, in maybe medical students that are interested in pursuing a, a career in pathology. What have you learned really on the job that you weren't exposed to in your training?
1: Well, I think during the training, they do a fantastic job of giving you all of that foundation of knowledge that you need to know. But the things that they really don't tell you about are some of those little nuances So sometimes there's a lot of professional judgment that might go into deciding, what am I gonna do with this run? My control failed or there's something unusual about it. Do I need to repeat it? And then the patient's gonna have to wait for the results a little bit longer or is this something that's okay? Or especially when we're doing genetic testing, we do a lot of variant classification and they definitely teach us how to do that while we're trainees. But then when it's actually your name on the line, you get to work very carefully with the genetic counselors, which is fantastic. They're just amazing to work with. But at the end, there's still some professional judgment, and you end up working in teams of people to figure out what to do, but some of the, the judgment and the nuances, that's definitely the part that you learn on the job as you go. So I'm, I'm thinking now
0: about the uh, the clinicians who are, in, who are listening to this podcast, and what would be your advice for them for how they can connect with the pathologists that are really in the background, probably, of their practice, helping to support their medical practice. How can they build that bridge of collaboration with their pathologist?
1: I think the easiest way is just to not be afraid to pick up the phone and give us a call. We like talking on the phone to people. I mean, we're not quite as introverted as the stereotype might (laughs) claim we are. So sometimes it's a little bit hard maybe to figure out who the specific pathologist is you would need to talk to because we've gotten to the point that we're so incredibly subspecialized that you might be working on some small esoteric test, especially at a place like Mayo Clinic. So if you call a pathologist and you don't have the right one, probably everybody knows everybody in pathology to some extent that we can call around until you get to the right person but definitely giving us a call chatting with us about your patients you can call us if you are trying to figure out which tests to order if the test that you're thinking about is an appropriate test or not once you get the results back if you're having a hard time figuring out how that what or how to interpret that or what that means in the context of your patient it's another good time you can definitely give us a call and It makes us feel like we're able to be a little more connected directly with the patient, too. So it's something we enjoy. And like I said earlier, it makes us better pathologists.
0: That's exactly how I started, actually, as a a fourth-year medical student going into pathology. Uh, Whenever somebody needed a lab result, they thought I knew (laughs) where the answers were. (laughs) Uh, Thank God I knew the uh, phone number to the micro lab. (laughs) So I (laughs) called the micro lab every time. (laughs) And then they would direct me to who the actual person and department (laughs) I needed to find. So now you brought up this stereotype of these introverted pathologists, which actually yeah uh, has not been my experience as well. If you were to speaking now out to the medical students who might be uh, queuing into this podcast and listening to this podcast, what would you say to medical students as a plug for why they ought to consider pathology?
1: Well, it's probably one of the most diverse specialties out there. It touches every area of medicine. And so I think that makes it really exciting. It's a field that changes rapidly. There's always something new to learn, so you don't have to worry about going into work and just seeing the same old, same old every day. And so I feel like sometimes because of that stereotype, people might get discouraged and think, oh, well, do you really want to be a pathologist? You're not going to see the patients. You're so good with the patients. Well, if you're really good with the data and doing the laboratory side of things, you're just as valuable to the care team, and so don't be dissuaded. It's a fun career, and you're always interacting with people. We work in multidisciplinary groups. I mentioned the technologists multiple times earlier, the genetic counselors. We've got quality specialists in our lab we have uh, supervisors in the lab, and then we're always working with the other labs and the clinicians. So you definitely won't be hurting for people interactions.
0: (laughs) So this has been a wide ranging uh, conversation with Dr. Moyer. I want to just kind of top this off now with talking about what are the top five things we want to leave our listeners with. What are the top five things that uh, clinicians should be aware about laboratory medicine? So number five, let's start at the bottom and work our way up.
1: All right. So probably number five is that pathology is a really broad field. It's not just autopsies. It's not just working with some random blood sample in the lab. There's a lot going on. And as I said a minute ago, it touches every area of clinical medicine.
0: And number four.
1: I think number four is probably something that's not well known to everybody but important is that we actually really enjoy being connected with clinical medicine. And in fact, we work best to help the patients when we're connected with everybody else on the care team. So definitely don't be afraid to give us a call. We're here to help you that way. Number three. Number three, I think, is that pathology is a very much an evolving field. There's always something new to learn. I work specifically in genetic testing, where I mentioned earlier we're finding new genes every single day. But I think that's the same for all of pathology. We're always finding new disorders and learning more about the underlying medicine. So I think that makes it exciting.
0: All right. Now we're up to number two. So
1: number two... Uh, The training programs of pathology, I think, are a bit of a mystery to a lot of people. So there's kind of a couple of ways that you can get there. So the main way that people usually go for anatomic pathology is that you would have to do a medical degree followed by a residency in anatomic pathology. But we also can do anatomic and clinical pathology together, clinical pathology being most of what we've been talking about today. And then after doing that, most of us that go into laboratory medicine would go on to do a fellowship in some specific area of laboratory medicine. So, for example, molecular genetic pathology was my fellowship. But at the same time, we have these awesome colleagues who have PhDs rather than MDs that we get to work with in laboratory medicine. So they usually come from a background where they got their PhD and they often did a postdoc or maybe several postdocs in a specialized area. And then they'll go on and doing to do a fellowship in that specific area that they're already experts in. And so they bring a little bit different perspective than those of us that went through the MD training pathway. And so I think that really helps our field out to have those different perspectives and have these great colleagues that got there through a slightly different pathway as well.
0: Absolutely. I love the various all that different perspectives that people can bring uh, to patient care. So the number one thing that medical professionals should know about laboratory medicine is...
1: We're here to help. I think we've said it enough times that hopefully you got the message. Pick up the phone. Give us a call. We definitely want to talk with you. We want to help you help your patients.
0: Wow, thank you so much, Dr. Moyer. We've been rounding with Dr. Moyer about the broad field of pathology. Thank you for taking the time to discuss this topic with us.
1: Thanks for having me on your your program.
0: Thank you for joining us today. We invite you to share your thoughts and suggestions via email. Please direct any suggestions to mcleducation at mayo.edu and reference this podcast. If you have enjoyed Lab Medicine Rounds podcast, please subscribe. Until our next rounds together, we encourage you to continue to connect lab medicine and the clinical practice through insightful conversations.